Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Folks, we have a tremendous guest today on the Screen the Screener podcast. We have Casey Jacobson, college basketball analyst for Fox Sports 1, Pac-12 Networks, Time Warner Cable. You'll even hear him on some Phoenix Suns broadcasts. But his resume doesn't just stop there, folks. He was McDonald's All-American in high school. He played his college ball at Stanford. He was a multi-time All-American there, including first-team All-American as a sophomore. He played in the NBA for many years with Phoenix, the Hornets, the Grizzlies, and even had a very successful career over in Germany. So he is a true expert. Casey, thanks so much for a few minutes here on the Screen to Screener podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. March Madness is my favorite time of year. It's also uh, the month that my birthday falls, so this is uh, this is the best time. Uh, it certainly is. And and from what Casey just told us, folks, he's out in Sacramento right now. Is that right? And, and you're getting ready to, uh, to, to do some high school basketball, right? Yeah, for the third year. So I do a lot of, uh, you already mentioned the, the networks that I work for. Well, one of them, Time Warner, owns the rights for the California State uh, Tournament in, in high school basketball. So I do the boys and girls uh, state championship finals, and it's here in Sacramento at the new Golden One Center, the new, newest arena in the NBA. Um, it's been really fun. It's my third year doing it, and so last year I called Lonzo Ball, uh, his his last high school game with Chino Hills when they went thirty five and zero. Wow! Um, so it, it's pretty fun, and, and and California is a hotbed for for uh, for basketball talent. Uh, there's no doubt, and and we're coming from the East Coast. My partner and I, we love we do hashtag West Coast love hashtag West Coast big. There's a lot of great talent there on the West Coast that maybe because of the time change people don't don't know about. Uh, we'll, we'll let's just start right there. You've seen college basketball across the country. Who are some of the best players that you saw out on the West Coast this year in college that maybe people don't know about uh, that that really should get some recognition here as we're we're heading into the Elite Eight? Well, I mean, it, it's hard to to shed a light on the people that um, you know others don't know about. We can talk about Lonzo. You know, there's a lot of guys who get hype and they don't deliver. Uh, we've been we've been talking about Lonzo Ball for a couple of years now because of. Uh, what he was able to do uh, at the high school level. We're talking about him a lot more now because of different reasons, because of some of the things that his father says. But right. but there's no no question that that uh, Lonzo delivered on, on all that hype, um, and, and he's been a special player. Uh, but the Pac-12, like the Pac-12 is second only to the ACC in the amount of NBA players that, that are uh, you know currently in the league. So um, I know there's a little bit of, of East Coast bias. I understand it. I was born and raised in Los Angeles my whole life. Uh, but anytime I visit the East Coast, I'm always like, at 11 o'clock p.m., Gonzaga's tipping off. And I'm like, there's nobody watching this game unless you're a diehard college basketball fan. So uh, I get some of it, uh, but there's a ton of really good hoops on the West Coast. Oregon now is kind of now recognized as a perennial um, contending team for a national title. Dana Altman can coach his butt off, but you know guys like Dylan Brooks, who we only catch in snippets and highlights because he, Dylan Brooks has had three buzzer beaters this year. So I think a lot of people have seen those, but I don't know if they watched Oregon play for a full 40 minutes and see a guy like Tyler Dorsey, who's you know a, a Pasadena, California kid yep. who's gotten better. Now he's in his sophomore year. He's getting better and better. Jordan Bell, who's who was from Long Beach Poly High School, uh, only about 15 minutes from where I live now, who got better every single year, and now they're playing on national stage, and people are, are, are finally recognizing how good he is. And a kid like Nigel Williams-Goss is another one who comes to mind. He went to Washington, 
And Washington was not very good. They never made the tournament when he was there, but he was putting up monster numbers. Well, now he goes to Gonzaga transfer, and they're number one in the country for about a month of this season, and he put up monster numbers again, and now people people are finally starting to recognize just how good and how smooth Nigel Williams-Goss is. So true. You know, in, in Oregon, I had predicted the beginning of the year to make the Final Four, and what he, Dana Altman is doing, one of, one of the best coaches in college basketball here, and I'd love to see him and Mark Few both make a Final Four. Without Boucher, with that injury, you can talk about that a little bit, I really thought they were going to struggle. They have Big B. Williams, who's getting a couple minutes now. But it really is amazing what he's done with that Oregon team because the Dylan Brooks injury beginning of the year, he kept them together, and now he's one step away from a Final Four. Yeah, I'd like to rewind the clock a little bit um, more. Maybe about three years ago, I don't know if a lot of people who listen to your podcast really understand how bad uh, this program got. They went through a, a sexual scandal where – I think it was four of their guys uh, were expelled from school and they only had seven scholarship players. Um, and, and I, I wasn't expecting anything from Oregon that year to go through something like that was difficult, had to be difficult. They didn't have a lot of bodies. And then Joseph Young ends up becoming the Pac-12 player of the year. And they make the tournament. They, they uh, win their first game. They play Wisconsin um, in the second round and give Wisconsin all they can handle with Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker. Totally remember um, they, it. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So that was one of the best coaching jobs that I've seen in the last three years on the Western United States. And then from that, he's now built this core group of Dylan Brooks and Jordan Bell. They added Chris Boucher. And and now they're they're you know they're a mighty contender, but you mentioned Chris Boucher. So and and I'm not saying this because hindsight. Uh, if you talked to me two weeks ago when Chris Boucher tore his ACL right before the Pac-12 tournament final, I actually thought that this wouldn't be as significant a loss as other people predicted. Uh, now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Oregon is a better team without Boucher. That's, that's ridiculous. But what I am saying is Boucher came off the bench, um, and he had been coming off the bench for about 15 to 20 games. And in, in my opinion, their starting lineup with Dylan Brooks at the four and Jordan Bell at the five is their best front court combination. Now, it's a luxury to bring in a Boucher, a 6'11 kid that can shoot a three, and he averages two and a half blocks a game. That's significant. It's top ten in the country. But they didn't have to mess around with their starting lineup at all. And my favorite lineup is is when they go small because Jordan Bell is a better all-around defender than Boucher. He's not a better shot blocker, and he's certainly not a better three-point shooter. But he's a more mobile defender, he's a more physical defender, and he's a better rim runner. So they don't get slowed down at all uh, with Jordan Bell. And he is more than capable of playing more minutes. He only averaged 28 minutes in the regular season, and now they're playing him as many as he can possibly handle as long as he stays out of foul trouble. So... No, Oregon's going to have to play Kansas, and, and that's going to be a tall order. But it hasn't really surprised me that Oregon still got to this point, even without Chris Boucher. Yeah, totally agree. And and I feel like Kansas is, is going to be tested at some point. All these teams usually, Casey, get tested, and they rolled over Purdue. I was frustrated with a lot of what was going on there. I mean, Caleb Swanigan is leaving Svi Mihailik to double Landon Lucas in the post against Isaac Haas. So I feel like there were some things there that allowed Kansas to really get into a flow. But they don't have an answer for Jordan Bell inside. And I want to see who's going to end up guarding Dylan Brooks, who has yet to have that explosive game. So I'm with you. I think this is going to be a great game, Kansas and Oregon. 
you know, I, I think that Josh Jackson and Dylan Brooks are going to go mano a mano. Or maybe that's just me as a college basketball analyst praying uh, to the, the basketball gods to, to see two of the better, you know, hybrid forwards go, go one-on-one. Those are two of my favorite players to watch. Josh Jackson has been as advertised along with Lonzo Ball as a freshman this year, um, coming in as a top five potential recruit and has delivered. Josh Jackson plays both ends of the floor. And you know what I like about Josh is that he doesn't have to carry the team at all because he has Frank Mason the third and Devontae Graham to kind of take some of that pressure off of him. And so Josh just gets to be himself and just let it all hang out. And that's how Dylan Brooks plays as well. And Dylan Brooks is surrounded by a lot of players where he doesn't feel like he has to carry the team as well. So, And, and to say all of this, it, you know what ends up happening a lot of times is we talk about the stars in games. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the stars kind of cancel each other out. So true. And so it, it's very it, it's very possible that like Frank Mason and Tyler Dorsey could cancel each other out, and Dylan Brooks and Frank Jackson can cancel each other out. So then it's you know who else is going to step up? Is it going to be Landon Lucas? Is it going to be Jordan Bell? Those are the guys that might decide the game. Well, let's transition right there into Kentucky UCLA from last night, and I think that's exactly what happened. Derek Willis is making shots. Hawkins was making a lot of shots, and Isaiah Briscoe's making threes here, Casey. I mean, th- th- that's exactly what happened is, obviously, De'Aaron Fox was phenomenal, don't get me wrong, but I feel like in the first half, to sort of set the table, it was those role players that kept them in the game. No, you're right about that. And, and you know, this is a team game, right? This is what I always say. Basketball is a team game, and we want to promote these stars. We want to say that, oh, Lonzo Ball versus De'Aaron Fox, but... Look, you know, I actually thought Malik Monk finally broke out of his slump and yep. was huge uh, for Kentucky. He, the first two games of the tournament, he's 6 for 21. And if you have followed Kentucky this year, if you followed Malik Monk, he has not had three bad games in a row. In fact, it was rare if he had two, uh, you know, subpar scoring games. Uh, so for him, he was due for a breakout game. Also against UCLA, who's not a good defensive team. They, they, they haven't been all year. They certainly weren't going to just turn it on in the NCAA tournament. They need to, to, to get out and score. Um, that's not a good matchup for UCLA. Uh, you know, they, they even can't put Lonzo Ball on Malik Monk. Um, but we, we, we can talk about the role players in that game, but you cannot, you cannot just uh, understate how special De'Aaron Fox was. Incredible. Look, if if a star if a star scores forty, then we have to give the attention to the star. We can't talk about the role players if De'Aaron Fox has thirty nine points and gets to the foul line fifteen times and only has one turnover yep. when he's handling the ball that much. And oh, by the way, he's their best perimeter defensive player as well. He was spectacular. He was spectacular, and he stayed out of foul trouble for most of the game. He's got that euro step. He was attacking the basket. I love to see it. I thought it was a tremendous win for Kentucky, and that sets them up now in in what is a rematch of a legendary game between North Carolina and Kentucky for the Elite Eight. How do you see that game shaking out? Ooh, this is a coin flip game for me. In my own bracket, I have North Carolina coming out. So do I. North Carolina has four big guys. They just come in at waves, and that's what got them to um, the tournament final last year. Remember, North Carolina struggled at times in last year's tournament to make shots, but why are they able to continue to move on uh, last year and this year? They don't have to shoot well, and they're one of the only teams that you can say that about because they're so good offensive rebounding they were i believe number one in the country last year and number one this year and if not number one they're like top two um so 
they go into games knowing that, hey, we don't have to make shots. Whereas I think Kentucky is going to enter that game thinking, we need to hit some threes. We need to get in a good rhythm. We need to get Malik Monk going because if not, sometimes it's shaky for them. On the, uh, I'm talking about on the front court. Like when UCLA beat them uh, in December, beating, beating Kentucky, I'm talking about, they got beasted on the glass. And it's possible uh, to punk Kentucky down low. Now, their backcourt is a handful, but uh, North Carolina's strength is their front court. And that's Kentucky's weakness. That's exactly right. And if you told me, Casey, that Kentucky was going to beat UCLA with Bam Adebayo getting two points, I would have been shocked. So I think against that front line, they've got to look to get the ball inside to him more because you're right. In that game against Arkansas, it was all the bigs inside who did the work. That list game the other night against Butler, it was Jackson and Berry who, t- who put over 50 points on the board. Mm-hmm. So I agree. They are balanced. They can come at you a multitude of ways. But if De'Aaron Fox puts that, that show on again, they're going to be right there. Uh, we're talking to Casey Jacobson, college basketball analyst for Fox Sports 1, Pac-12 Networks, Time Warner Cable. Casey, let's stay on the West Coast here and talk about Gonzaga. 32-1 and record, 17-1 and in the West Coast Conference. Lost that last game of the regular season, which I'll admit threw me off. Not my partner who loves him to the Final yeah. Four. But I said, you're, you're fired up. You're at home against BYU, who's beaten you twice in Spokane. You have an undefeated record. It's senior night and you lose to BYU. I feel like their tournament has been sort of a survive in advance. They were down two to Mike Dom in the first game, the big comeback by Northwestern in the second game they held on. And listen, they did a great job defensively against West Virginia, but if Matthews doesn't hit a pull-up three on the break, which, by the way, reminded me of Ali Farouk Manesh when Northern Iowa beat Kansas, yeah, that's right. they could lose to West Virginia. So what are your thoughts now? they got Xavier now in the Elite Eight. What are your thoughts on Gonzaga? Oh, well, the stars are aligning, in my opinion, for, for Gonzaga. And, and I'm not trying to uh, disrespect Xavier at all. They have earned it. In fact, they've probably had a harder road than any team besides, you know, uh, they probably had a harder road to the Elite Eight than any team, Xavier, sure. the, the opponents they beat. But Gonzaga is doing it right now through defense, period, end of story. They are not in an offensive rhythm. But defensively, you can't score on the Bulldogs right now. They're holding opponents to 37% from two in the tournament. And they're also holding uh, opponents to under 30% from three. Offensively, they've got to figure out a way, though, when they're playing in Xavier, whose who's 2-3 zone right now is better than – I mean, they're making uh, Jim Beheim at, at Syracuse jealous with the way that they're, they're active, they're packing that paint, uh, they're trying to uh, – they're stay, keeping guys out of foul trouble. Um, so uh, Gonzaga has to make some three-point shots. Nigel Williams-Goss, who we talked about a little bit earlier – he has not played well offensively. Uh, this is a Gonzaga team that really heavily relied on him to pretty much orchestrate everything. Um, this is a, a Gonzaga team that plays from the inside out, though. It's, it's not like they, they um, throw the ball to Nigel and say, score all the points for us. They throw the ball down low to Shemek Karnowski and Jonathan Williams III. But in, you can't win a national title uh, without guard play. And right now, Nigel Williams-Goss is 12 for 42 shooting. Um, yep. And this is a, a player who shot 50% from the field overall on, on the season. Um, so they need to figure out a way to get him going. He is going to have some open looks against the zone of Xavier. Um, and another guy, Josh Perkins, who's had, a, in my opinion, a really down year. Yes. He's, yep. uh, 
he has also uh, got to figure out a way to get out of his own head. Uh, I, I see him passing up shots when I watch their tournament games that he never passed up. And, and I, he I've can make several. them. Absolutely. He, he can. can make them, yep. Oh, he, he's, a, he's a talented player. I think he's in his own head right now. At least that's what I see when I watch them play. Um, so those two guys need to hit some perimeter shots because I know Jordan Matthews is going to take and make his fair share. We got one more game here, Casey, and then a quick question. We'll get you out of here. So, of course, the blow-up bracket, right? Let's let's take a look at that mm-hmm. that East bracket. We have a, a phenomenal Wisconsin-Florida game last night, back-to-back sort of three-point runners there in regulation by Walter and then by Chios at the end of the game facing the team that no one wants to play, South Carolina. Sandarius Thornwell, uh, Frank Martin has them going. How do you see these two sort of upstart teams that no one maybe had going all the way here? One of them is making the Final Four. Yeah, this this is pretty crazy. Uh, that Wisconsin Florida game was so good. I, it's one of those ones where I just let's run it back. Right when the game's over, I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. want a winner. Exactly. Let's tip it off again. Let's make it a, a best out of three series. Um, that's how good um, that game was. But you know, Florida, these SEC teams are just hanging out behind Kentucky, and we were talking mess about, or I don't know if you were, but a lot of us. You know, media people were were talking mess about the SEC, and now look, they got Kentucky, they got Florida, and they got South Carolina, and now Florida and South Carolina are going to meet in an SEC matchup in the Elite Eight. And but to me, the Cinderella team, I'm just like a lot of the fans in college basketball. I love a Cinderella story every now and then. I don't want the entire Final Four to be Dayton and St. Mary's, but I want one. I like one Cinderella to be in there amongst the big boys. So. I'm really pulling for South Carolina in this matchup and the way that they've done it. They have taken apart teams. And Frank Martin, their head coach, we know he's a crazy person, and I mean that in the best way possible. A crazy person meaning he, got his, he has his team playing like crazy people on the floor with his intensity, his energy. And if you can't play D, you don't see minutes for Frank Martin. And that's how they play. They just – Baylor, they strangled Baylor. 30% overall from the field. They forced 16 turnovers, and nobody wanted to shoot the ball at the end of the game because they knew that there was going to be contact on every play, every shot's contested. So Florida is playing excellent basketball. That shot by Chioza was redonkulous. Yep. Um, the, you know, Florida didn't actually play that well. They didn't shoot that well, but they hung in. They're tough. Um, it's going to be an uphill battle, though, uh, for them against South Carolina's defense. So, um, you know, guys like Allen and Casey Hill are going to have to um, – they're not going to be as open, uh, in my opinion, as they were in that uh, Sweet 16 matchup against Wisconsin. Totally agree. Last question here, then we know you're busy, but we'll let you go. So we had a big argument on Twitter here, a lot of the fans too, emailing us as well, talking about these kids declaring for the draft. Lonzo did it yesterday right after the game, which rubbed me the wrong way because you at least wait a day. I don't, you know, I know he had mentioned it earlier, but the big one that came up to us was Jonathan Isaac. And you were somebody who came out after your junior year, had a very successful career, MBA as well as over in Germany. Uh, to me, my argument, Casey, is that if they're going to come out and you end up being a, a later first-round draft pick, I just think the odds may be against you a little bit. And I, I went to, a, I was out in Milwaukee watching the Bucks versus the Clippers and the Bucks versus the Raptors. And I just saw a lot of these college players that came out early that I say to myself, after your freshman or sophomore year, are you really ready yet? You have the perfect perspective. What should be their decision-making process? Should it be, if you're going to be top 10, you should come out. If you, if you think you're going to be second round or late first, should you stay? What is the thought process that goes through an athlete's mind? And what do you think about Isaac specifically? 
So, uh, well, Isaac's a freak athlete, and he's got a lot of potential, which, which that's the buzzword that NBA scouts love, right? Um, if you have potential, uh, even if you haven't really performed or, or produced, um, that sometimes is actually more valuable, in my opinion. Let's go back just a year ago when Ivan Rabb, the uh, uh, power forward at Cal, he was projected to be a lottery pick. Um, he comes back for his sophomore year. True, good one. Um, because, because he loves college. And this year, I would argue that it hurt his draft stock. It's and true. why is that? Uh, because the longer you stay in college, the more people pick at you. Everybody has a weakness. I don't care who you are. Um, and so I think Ivan Rabb, people saw that he's not necessarily a great back-to-the-basket low-post scorer. Um, he, he wasn't dominant this year. And so his, he's still going to be a first-round, probably a top-20 pick. But last year, he'd have been right around 10. This year, I'm going to predict he's right around 20, 18, 19, 20 mm-hmm. uh, in the draft. So he lost himself some money. The question you ask is a totally – there's no blanket uh, that I can throw over uh, this question to answer it. It's a completely individual um, thing. Let's also never forget, I try not to as a broadcaster, ever forget that every individual has uh, a different background. Some of these kids come from nothing, and uh, the chance to play professionally and make money is really um, a life-changing, life-altering moment and opportunity. And so for us to talk about whether or not a guy should come back, should he stay, should he go, it's not for us to decide. Uh, we also we we have to understand that that some of these kids basketball is their only ticket out, um, and and let's also be very honest in saying that some kids don't like to go to school and they're only in college to play college basketball. And I'm not trying to criticize. That's sometimes how it is. Guys don't want to go to class. Um, they have no interest in getting their degree or completing it. They want to be in the NBA, and I can't say that that's right or wrong. So. That that's why that, that that's why some guys like Jonathan Isaac maybe uh, it could be an explanation why some guys want to leave early. I left after my third year at Stanford. I didn't want to leave Stanford. I loved it there. But the reason why I left my my MBA opportunity, the the proverbial window, was only open for so long, and I felt like if I stayed another year, those scouts would pick me apart. I felt like I'd be a first round draft pick if I left after my my junior year. I'd get a three year guaranteed contract. So I did that, and it worked out, and I have no regrets. But it was a tough decision for me. For other guys, it's not a tough decision at all. They're, they're, they're gone, and they don't think twice about it. That's a perfect perspective. Listen, Casey Jacobson, folks, we can't thank you enough for a few minutes here. You're super busy. You're out there in California. got up early to talk to us. Uh, folks, he's on Fox Sports 1, Pac-12 Networks, Time Warner Cable, Phoenix Suns Broadcast, Tremendous player, tremendous broadcaster. We love watching you. We're up here. We're, we're those East Coast guys that stay up, Casey, late at night and watch all those games. So <laughs> we, we've seen you all the time. So thank you so much for a few minutes, some great perspective, and I'm sure you'll sit back like we will and enjoy these Elite Eight games over the weekend as well. Absolutely. I had a great time. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much. i